my country, tis of thee. Sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Of thee I sing today. And now this conversation, 90% on Uber and self-driving vehicles. I don't know that you'll be able to afford to drive a car because you'll be the oddball trying to support something that's going to get to be very, very expensive again. The Car Doctor. As the millennials get older and as this whole new generation, Gen Z and the next one, will they buy cars? And will there be cars to buy? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now... And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men Fourth of July to each and every one of you, and thanks for joining me on this Car Doctor weekend here as we celebrate the fourth and also talk to you about repairing automobiles. I am Ron Anani in the Car Doctor. Same phone number as always, 24-7, number 855-560-9900. Give us a call. Leave a message if we're not on the air. We're Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time out on the network, but 855-560-9900. Works all the time. It's probably, it feels like it's the Car Doctor, man. It's just It's always working. It's always doing its thing, and uh, you can call the 855-560-9900 phone number and leave a message if we're not on the air and you can be assured that someone executive producer tom ray or assistant producer jeff firestone will call you back and uh, speak to you about your car problem and get you up here on air to talk to you about what's going on um speaking of what's going on we're going to talk a little bit about the opening uh in the opening today we're going to talk a little bit about a 2008 toyota camry um, the story of, of what is involved with this car is up on Facebook, but um, uh, we got to get serious for a minute, okay? And I'm serious. we got to get serious. We, um, we suffered a loss this week, folks, and I wanted to share it with you because you are my extended family, each and every one of you. Um, we just had him on the show this past Memorial Day, um, and if you were here, you, uh, you know who I'm talking about. Um, he's been with us for many, many years. First Lieutenant Stephen Ananian, uh, my uncle, Uncle Steve, um, uh, passed away this week at the age of 95, I'm sorry to announce. Um, went to sleep, um, had a grand life, um, tough son of a gun. Uh, I could say a couple other things, but we're here on radio. Um, but then again, if Uncle Steve were here, he would say, sure, what the heck, go ahead, say it. Um, we're going to do a little montage of uh, Uncle Steve down around the bottom of the hour, the best of. And uh, you probably want to have your ability to record it because uh, we've captured over the years Uncle Steve, some of Uncle Steve's best stories, um, talking about his, uh, his, 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 his journey through the Second World War and uh, what it was all about. So, But yes, Uncle Steve, Stephen Ananian, um, passed away this week at the age of 95. 
And um, we know you're all sitting there thinking and praying for him. And uh, no need. Uncle Steve has his wings already. I'm sure he's flying once again, and um, he's blue skies. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on down around the bottom of the hour. Um, 2008 Toyota Camry. You know, it, and it, it's, you know it, it, it's hard to even come back from something like that, but I wanted to do that and get that out, out in front. Um, this car came in with a battery light on. And there's probably a little bit more to the story than just that. It came in with a battery light on and a fresh battery. And, you know, you, you wonder, did which came first, the chicken or the egg? What caused the light to come on? Was it was it something related to the battery replacement, which was done, you know, by a non-mechanic? Or was it, it, it you know, what, what was the original problem? So where do you begin the diagnosis? I know, all together now. You begin the diagnosis at the beginning, went through the usual drill, scanned it for fault codes, checked the battery, checked for a draw, did the basic electrical system test. Everything turned out good. Looks like we have a car with a bad alternator. There's a couple of specific tests that you need to do on 2008 Camrys and Toyotas of that generation. Uh, there are four wires on the V6. This is a V6 Camry by the way, if you can't tell by the pictures up on Facebook. But there are four wires leading up to that alternator. There's the heavy red wire, the heavy gauge red wire, which is the main battery output to the vehicle. That had battery voltage on it. There is a red wire coming out of what I'll call the voltage regulator plug, the the three-wire connector coming out the side of the alternator. There is battery voltage on that. There's a yellow-red, which had battery voltage key on, engine off. And there was a yellow wire. Yellow wire triggers the dash warning light to come on it looks for a voltage pressure differential it's if there's 14 volts on one side of the bulb and 14 volts on the other the alternator is smart enough and it it, ground doesn't work and the bulb stays out if there is a voltage drop or loss on the ground leg of the yellow wire feeding the alternator it construes that voltage difference from one side of the bulb to the other as a failure of the charging system when it reaches a preset limit bang, turns on the dash light. I went through all that. And, you know, not that this is a big diagnostic story. The car had a bad alternator. 2008 Camry with about 80,000 miles on it had a legitimate bad alternator. Getting the alternator out, now that's another story. How'd you like to take, take the front bumper off to replace the alternator? Yeah. All right? I mean, how many of you honestly would sit there and believe the mechanic. Yeah, you know, it's a half a day's labor. We've got to take the front bumper off. We've got to take the radiator out. You have to take the radiator out to get the alternator out of the car. You almost have to get the radiator out just to see the alternator in the car, which you would see if you go to the Facebook page. I've got, I shot two videos, excuse me, and and I'm sorry. um, The reason the one video looks cockeyed like it is well we learned something new if you go live to post to facebook what happened was we went to post live and it said say something about this video and i typed in what the video was about and then i realized we wanted to shoot it in um landscape mode not portrait we wanted so we turned the camera and the camera flipped in landscape mode but facebook in their go live feature already had us locked in as portrait so that's why when you look at the video 
yeah, it looks like I'm standing I'm standing on my head and the car's on the wall. That's not the case. Couldn't change it, though, and it's a great video, so we left it. The second video, the post-repair video, shoot is shot correctly, and it, it, it looks pretty good. Um, but take a look at both of them. Look at how that car is stuffed together. And, yeah, you can sit there and say, hey, it's only a bumper. What did it take you to get the bumper off the car? 20 minutes, half hour? Yeah, sure. Okay? And get the radiator out? Oh, maybe another... 30 minutes, 45 minutes. It's not the worst thing in the world. What happens when it's a bumper that's seen more than its fair share of parking lot, uh, you know, parking space embutments? What if it's a bumper that's not held on all that great anyway? Does replacing the alternator require the customer to now buy a bumper because you're going to disturb this big giant piece of plastic that's on the front of the car? And what about reassembling it? You know, how does the average shop, and I wonder this sometimes, how does the average shop get away with it? Reason being, there was more than two dozen plastic clips and bolts and screws holding this bumper to the car. And, you know, we keep an assortment. I actually have a Toyota and a Nissan and a, and a Honda assortment of clips. You know, common body bumper fender, wheel liner, clips, things that you would use. I counted. This particular Camry needed $68 worth of plastic clips to put the bumper back on because the majority of the clips that came out were so beat up they had to be replaced. You couldn't get them to, you know, click in the hole and, and, and work. So 68 bucks just for plastic clips because they're all special shapes, special size, 8mm, 10mm, you know, internal punch, external punch, uh, you know, internal grip, external grip. For an alternator, how hard do we have to make this? And then, okay, whose alternator are you going to put on that car? That was the other thought that went through my mind. We used the Denso. Great piece, right? OE piece, original equipment. Would you trust the local supply house? You know, the, the, the Denso alternator was a little over $300. Would you trust the $75 alternator that the guy down the street that rebuilt, rebuilt the alternator on my dad's 63 Chevy? I'm using him because it's only 75 bucks. yeah? How many times are you going to take that bumper off and the radiator out? How many times are you going to go through this? Point is, bottom line becomes, look at what cars are. Are you ready for this, folks? Do you understand what you're really getting into? You know, the the value of a car is is only measured by what sort of service it gives you. And I'm not saying this Camry didn't give fair service. I don't know how many people would put what turned into with a coolant flush, because we ended up doing a coolant service because this car hadn't had a coolant service in a while. But between diagnosis, alternator, and coolant service, I don't know how many people would put $1,300 into a 2008 Camry with 80,000 miles on it. How many, people, how many people would run from the room screaming? And I guess when I ask you, are you ready for this? Are you thinking about it at all? Because it's all very different. And that's a 2008. The technology there is 10 years old, 10 model years old. Imagine the newer stuff. It wasn't for the faint of heart. I had to diagnose that car. I had to know right from the get-go. I had to be absolutely certain that car needed an alternator. Sure, once in a while as part of a diagnostic routine, like any good like any good technician, I, I get to that point where I'm in the 80, 85 percentile. I'll sit there and, you know, it's an alternator. This one I had to be certain on because taking a bumper off, the worry about cracking things, about breaking things, about further damage, it's too high of a risk. 
So in the end, yeah, the Camry was an alternator, and it's fixed, and it's out the door. $68 worth of clips, $300 worth of alternator, $500 worth of labor, some diagnosis, some sales tax, a coolant flush. I don't know. Are you ready for this? I hope so, because the train's on the tracks, and the light's bright white, and it's uh, it's warming up real well. We'll be back to take phone calls, 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anini, The Car Doctor. Stay tuned. We're coming right back. Ron and Amy and the car doctor. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, I, lost tra- I lost my train of thought there. Tony, Tony, Tony has to borrow money from me again, and um, I, think he's, uh, I think he's going out tonight. He needed $20 bills. What do you need $20 bills for, Tony? Where are you going? Any place good? No, it's for so I could buy a train, uh, a train ticket going back to Manhattan. He, Tom, is he blushing? He's no, almost, I'm not blushing. He's, he's almost blushing. No, 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 no. no. You're the one that's blushing because no, 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 no. we can't say what we said because this yeah. is a family show. This Ron family show. has not ridden a train recently. He doesn't know that what the train fares are. That 20 no. bucks will barely get him to Manhattan. Will it really? Yes. Yeah. I. You know, it's funny. We were, we were talking about this morning the value of the train versus the car. And, um, where does – you've got Uber, right? You've got Lyft, and you've got all these self-driving autonomous cars and all that that entails. And then, um, you know, you got the train. I wonder where the train is going to fit into in the future with autonomous cars and self-driving cars. And the cost of the train just keeps going up and up and up and up. Um, and at what point, you know, trains to me are getting to be like toll bridges. At, at what point have they paid for themselves and we're now starting to generate revenue? And I I just, but I'm sure they're all crying the blues. Anyway, um, let's kick the garage doors open, 855-560-9900, Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. Let's go talk to Dave in Michigan, 83 Camaro. David, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? No. Uh, I got this car, and it uh, it doesn't show up. We did a Carfax on it. Okay. And there was no information from 1983 to 1986. And I was wondering, why would that be? Because um, Carfax cars only show up when the car is serviced at a dealer. That's how okay. that's how they know. So that tells me that that car uh, came out of the dealer, whatever the dealer was, and a private garage serviced it up until '86. Okay. So then the question so, becomes, what dealer? What dealer sold the car? Right. That's the next question. Yeah, I guess so. Um, um, does that mean a dealer owned it and just drove it around? Maybe. But then if a dealer, well, no, because if a dealer owned it, it would have been serviced in the dealer service department, and it would have turned up on Carfax. Because it shows up with like 32,000 miles, and they, I called them, and they said that's, that's just it. There's no other information on it. They didn't have anything else. So does it show, now let me ask you this. If you look at the title, how many, how many times has the car been titled? There's usually a prefix or a suffix. At um, least eight. It's been titled eight Cause, times. Yeah, because it, it had a a list from 1986 up to probably 2008 when I got it of everybody, every time the title was changed over. But from 83 to 86, there was no list. And how many miles are on it? Was it? Just, how many miles are on it now, Dave? Uh, now there's probably a good between 300 and 400,000 on it now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Original factory car, I think. Well, you, you know, sometimes the cars will give you the clues on where they came from. And, you know, I mean, listen, just because, oh, yeah. you know, where where does it show the title? Does it show you what state that the original title was done in? 
Uh, it showed you that it originally came from Van Nuys, California. That's oh. where the car was built. Okay. So they only built them in two places. It was Ohio and California. Right, so it's a Van Nuys car. So, you know, if you look, I'm not sure on a Camaro, but on on certain GM cars, you're either going to look under the back seat or top, yeah, for, top, um, top of the gas tank for the build sheet. Yeah, we found what was left of it. Okay. <laughs> there wasn't much left of it. Right. Um, and, I, uh... I would tell you there are ways to determine where that car came from. You'd have to contact General Motors and see if their records will go back that far. But I do. Okay. I, I have heard of ways for people to trace where did this particular vehicle come from, and yeah. and then maybe that will tell them. But if that car does not show up on Carfax till thirty two thousand miles, I wouldn't let it scare me. I'd just be curious to find out what the history is. Uh, oh yeah, that's see that's my that's what's driving me curiosity. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, yeah, just curious, where did it go after it left the factory? Because somebody was driving it, somebody right. was doing something with it. Right. You know? Um, it, like I said, uh, it's it's probably the case that nobody, you know, they never took it to a dealer for service. It doesn't register on Carfax until the vehicle is dealer serviced. Um, you know, or, and I don't know this, I don't know this for certain, you know, I don't know to what level Carfax would work before 86 uh, you know, I, I'm trying to remember when Carfax actually came into existence because it wasn't always around. So that could be part of this, too. But um, Yeah, as, that's what uh, this guy at the call told me. That it might be just the information got lost in the shuffle somewhere. Right. You, know, you know, 86 was, let's say, 96. 86 is 30-something years ago, right? So Yeah, uh, 32, know, 33 years yeah, ago. It was 83. It wasn't yesterday. So, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I would say this, do you, you know, is this a V8? Is this a V6? What is this? Uh, V8. Okay. It's got a 305 in it. All right. So, you know what? You've got a pretty nice piece regardless of mileage. Uh, those The 83 Camaros, that generation is, is has really come into its own in the last couple of years. So I would um, I would continue to drive it and enjoy it and just keep working on the history. But um, good questions. I like that. David, good luck to you and yours and uh, enjoy the car. Uh, we, 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 you know, wish you the best and have yourself a good 4th of July. Um, coming up next, Uncle Steve will return right after this. I'm Ron and Annie, the car doctor. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. You know, we started at the top of the hour. I gave you the news um, that uh, Uncle Steve had passed. And, um, you know, if you're no stranger to this radio show, you know who he was. He was that guy on Memorial Day that um, would come on and talk to us about Memorial Day, what it means, uh, what the Second World War, what his experiences were. Well, he was a P-51 combat pilot, the 39th Fighter Group out of Falmere, England, 8th Air Force. You know, it's funny. When I think of Uncle Steve and I thought all week long about how I would do this, I don't think it's about Uncle Steve, the, the the combat pilot. I mean, that's part of him, but, you know, and, and, and what he did during the war and what he did afterwards is part of that generation that came back. Uncle Steve was that guy who was my father's brother. You know, he was that guy whose house we went to on Christmas, Christmas Eve. Um, he hosted Santa Claus. Uh, you know, he was that kid that I'd be wearing my little sleeper pajamas with the feeties, and he'd be walking around his living room looking at all this stuff that people would say, don't pick that up, don't touch that, you know, little kids, ugh, right? 
But Uncle Steve was a lot more than that. You know, one day we one day we caught him by surprise, and he started talking to us as we got older and telling us about flying under the Eiffel Tower and, you know, shooting Nazis and, you know, and, and, and what was that all about? And, you know, the older I got and the, the more I got into American history, I realized what he had been part of. What a life. Uncle Steve, 95, gone in his sleep. This is First Lieutenant Stephen Ananian. God bless. We were escorting the bombers to Munster, and uh, escorting bombers is called a ramrod mission. So uh, on the way, uh, I was flying over Holland, on the, over Heligoland, actually, and uh, that's the uh, German uh, West Point for anti-aircraft gunners. And I got hit by one anti-aircraft uh, gun, and I was hit in the supercharger of the aircraft. And I uh, 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 flew my airplane, losing airplane, uh, uh, losing oil for about 45 minutes until I finally had a bailout over the North Sea. And at that time, there was gale warnings over the North Sea with 75-mile winds and 10-foot uh, waves and so uh, but I uh, bailed out and uh, was in the water for an hour and a half and I was rescued by a, a British air sea rescue flying boat and uh, uh, I got back naturally and uh, I flew 63 missions after that did you did you hesitate going up the second time Uncle Steve from what I from what I remember they they offered you a couple of days off leave up in London and you said heck no I want to go. That's right. I uh, I I, I went the very nice mission that they flew. So uh, uh, no I, uh, I I I I I was afraid when I flew, but as a fear my fear was not of getting killed, but I was afraid I'd screw up. I mean that's this is what every pilot did. I mean uh, you. you you, you had to respect what the uh, enemy had to offer. You, you really had a mindset. That whole generation had a mindset, as the mindset of all the generations have, have, have come and gone since. That, you know, it, it really is a dedication to duty um, uh, for, for someone to march off to defend the country. And that's really what Memorial Day is all about. It's, it's not uh, about, it's not know, about Ron, anything else. I'd like to tell you something. Uh, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th. At that time, it was a Sunday. I was a student at NYU. In fact, I, when I heard about it, I was working out in a gym at NYU. And when I heard the news, I went rushing home to tell my family that the, what happened and also to explain to my parents that I was going to go off and join the Army. I was going to become an aviation cadet. And uh, when we, I got home, uh, we were having, uh, in those days, we used to have uh, early dinner, you know, and lunch. Uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sunday. And so uh, after uh, dinner, I said to my father, I'd like to talk to your dad, and say, uh, well, we used to go in the living room, and he would bring his coffee and his, his cigarettes, and uh, I would bring my glass of milk uh, into the living room, and I'm preparing to tell him that I'm going to join uh, the uh, aviation cadet, and uh, I was stammering around, and my father turns around and says to me, son, your country needs you. What are you going to do about it? And that was the way it was. And I said, I'm going 
to join, uh, join up with the Army Air Corps. And the next day I went to Grand, Palace, uh, Grand Central Palace in New York on December 8th, and I enlisted in the Army. Uh, that was the story. Of it. It, it, it kind of clicked in place for you. I constantly get emails from all over the world from people. When I say constantly, I'm talking about at least one or two a week from uh, Europe, from uh, Czechoslovakia, from, from the, uh, I shouldn't say Czechoslovakia, the Czech Republic. Right. I mean, uh, it's been a long time since uh, uh, it was Czechoslovakia. But uh, the letters I get thanking us and they they make uh, they ask about people that were members of our unit that were shot down uh, and were killed uh, over their countries, and they uh, have put up memorials uh, at the sites uh, uh, with uh, placing flowers there on every holiday and every special occasion. I mean. Uh, the people around the world really appreciate what we've done, and I uh, uh, and we uh, should ponder what these people did for us. You know, I don't know if you know it or not, but uh, the Eighth Air Force, the losses of our Air Force of our group was two thirds, sixty-six percent. That means two out of three guys just didn't get back, and. Uh, I consider myself the luckiest person in the world. Uh, I flew 63 combat missions and uh, uh, was shot down on my first mission. Went down in the North Sea in the icy winter waters of the North Sea during a gale. And uh, uh, I'm uh, here 92 years old plus. Uh, I'm still surviving. Yeah, well. I'm still going to reunions. And still driving my car and uh, getting to fly airplanes and stuff like that. And uh, when I got over Paris, I flew along the Champs Elysees with my uh, wingman flying my wing about 50 feet off the ground. And all the people were waving at us, and we were just smiling and laughing. And uh, then we uh, turned at the end of the Champs Elysees is the uh, Palais de Chaillot, and I made a left turn, and there's the Eiffel Tower, we headed towards the Eiffel Tower, buzzed that, and then flew back to London. Now, during the war, uh, you couldn't fly over London because of the barrage balloons, but on VE Day, the barrage balloons were down, so we flew over Trafalgar Square, uh, very low, and spiraled upward over uh, Lord Nelson's statue and climbed up to 20,000 feet and came back. And we came back and landed when we landed my commanding officer's uh, jeep came rush, roaring up to my airplane, and he jumped out. He says, what the hell have you been doing? I said, what's the matter, sir? He says, the phone's been ringing off the hook about these red and white uh, checkered nose uh, uh, P-47s buzzing all over France and England. And I said, that wasn't us. I said, we fly P-51. He says, baloney. He said, you can do uh, you know that no, those civilians don't uh, know a P-51 from a P-47. Yeah, but still and you... You climb into this I-86, and you're going to Scotland. So yeah. that was it. And that was it. Hey, real quick, Uncle Steve. Um, uh, you know, you named the plane Baby Mine, 30 seconds or less. How'd you come up with that name? Uh, the Walt Disney's 
motion picture. Uh, no, 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 uh, no. I don't want that uh, version. Dumbo in it, and he in that picture that that was the famous song, and I. That song used to go run through my head when I was flying. Yeah, but wait a minute, Uncle I, Steve. That's the, that's the family version. Wasn't there a story about when the girls in the bars in London would ask you, did you name your plane after me, and what did you tell them? That, that's right. I'd say I named it after you, baby. And they'd look at me and say, oh, come on, I yank. And I'd take out a picture of my airplane, and they, they believed it. And it said it was baby mine. Uncle, yeah. Uncle Steve, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm looking forward to seeing you in June. And um, we've got to go right now. I really want to say thanks for taking the time, and um, it's just a whole lot of fun to talk to you. I love oh, you. Can I say one thing? Sure. I just want to thank all these people in the service for uh, protecting us and giving us the freedom that we judge. And we're, uh, our prayers are with all these people. Thank you. All gave some, some gave all. Uncle Steve, we'll, we look forward to talking to you again next year, if not sooner. You take good care. Well, thank you. Listen, Uncle Steve, the clock's going to take me. I love you. I want to tell you how proud I am of you, as I always do and always am, and I just wanted to take that opportunity. I want to thank you for being with us today, and uh, the listeners really appreciate it. Thank you, Ron, and uh, I appreciate it, uh, being able to talk to your, your uh, uh, listeners. Okay. Take care. You take good care, Uncle Steve. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. Phone number 247-855-560-9900. I'll give it to you once again, 855-560-9900. That's the car doctor's 24-7 phone number. Call, leave a message. And if we're not here, one of our producers, Tom Ray or Jeff Firestone, associate producer, um, will call you back and get you in the queue for the next live broadcast. We are out on the radio uh, airways Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Uh, on the network. And, um, you know, then we're going streaming. And by the way, we're streaming right now. If you're at cardoctorshow.com, you can pick up the live stream. But uh, just a bunch of ways to get this show. And of course, I failed to mention this this hour, but tune in iHeart, iTunes, all places you can podcast and pick up the show and uh, do what you have to do. Um, a quick piece of news. You know, I, was, I, I love the articles that you guys are sending in. This one came. I don't know how old it is. It's, it looks like it's a little bit older. Um, but out of uh, the York Sunday News, talks about farm technology. And, and if you're saying, where's Ron going? Where does farm technology have its place on a car show? Let's just uh, glance through this. Um, the article starts out, just about every weekend during the year's warmer months, somewhere up and down the East Coast, you find history of reenactment. These aren't the popular Civil War living history events, but rather gatherings that instead pay tribute to a different kind of history. The developments that literally change the way we produce food in this country, they're probably better known as antique tractor shows. And the article then goes on to talk about how old workhorse tractors, right? We've all seen them. They're, they're driving in the parade. Matter of fact, they might have even been in the Fourth of July parade this weekend, right? Where everybody's out there and they're polished up, they're shiny red. Uh, you know, uh, John Deere tractor and farm all. And, you know, it's from 1950 something or 1930 something, just an older gas version tractor. The problem is that the older tractors, which were just so easy and handy to fix in the middle of the farmer's field, you take the farmer with, you know, a couple of thousand acres and the tractor breaks down in the middle, you know, you could fix it out there. You could fix it on the side of the road. You could, you know, work on it as very simple, very basic. Where the meat and potatoes of this article is, is that it then goes on to talk about how it's becoming impossible, and I'm quoting the article here, to self-fix today's high-tech micro-trip chip-encrusted GPS-enabled tractors and self-propelled equipment. And even if a farmer has the skills to do that, much of the newest technology now runs on software that is patented, and an owner can become entangled in copyright legalities if they can figure out how to fix the problem themselves, if they can figure out how to fix the problem themselves, 
without summoning help from an official qualified trained technician. Several farming-heavy states already have proposed legislation to override the legally binding methodology preventing owners from repairing their own equipment. Will today's climate-controlled, copyrighted, software-operated, climate-controlled, copyrighted, software-operated tractors ever spur the fond memories of the post-World War II tractors that booted agriculture into today's age of modern productivity? Will there be antique tractor shows still being held in 2040 when they are no longer when they no longer make the microchips and software necessary to run the old 2016 imported from somewhere tractors electronic systems? And how true that is, right? That's you know, it's even affecting the farming community. Technology. Ah, who needs it? 855-560-9900. Run on any of the car doctor. We're coming back right after this. Don't go away. Hey, Ron and Andy, the car doctor. Thanks for uh, coming back with us here as we are at 855-560-9900. More information at cardoctorshow.com. And as I've told you before, that 855-560-9900 number, that is 24-7. You can call, leave a message, and uh, we'll hook you up for the next live broadcast Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. out on the network. Uh, let's do a quick piece of email. Hey, Ron, I've got a 2004 Jeep V6 that's got a head gasket issue. It's my fault. I didn't service the cooling system properly. Lots of rust, lots of corrosion and scale. And I'm just wondering if there is a way that I can repair that cooling system, that problem with the head gasket, without actually having to replace the head gasket. I've been reading about a product called K-Seal. I live here in New Jersey. I understand it's made in New Jersey. Oh, look at that, a New Jersey listener. Um, And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on it. I've never heard of them before, but I hear good things. Uh, Fred in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey. Look at that. Fred, here's the deal. K-Seal, yes, is a New Jersey-based product. They've been around forever and ever and ever. Um, Excellent product. I've run into it from time to time. They make different levels and different versions of it, uh, coolant leak repair. Um, they make a pour and go. They make an ultimate. They make a, a, a K-Seal heavy duty. You can find out more information at their website, kseal.com. Uh, just like it says, the letter K, seal, kseal.com. Um, follow the directions on the package. Uh, it's available at most local auto parts suppliers, most most retailers, and um, you should be fine. I've uh, I've heard stories and I've seen examples of it where pouring in K-Seal, vehicle still driving three, four, five years later. Um, so, yeah, by all means, give that a shot. And uh, listen, hey, make out. Drop me a line, Ron, at cardoctorshow.com. And uh, I'd be glad to uh, hear what you uh, experienced. Hey, that about does it for me this hour. I'd like to take the time this moment for Fourth of July weekend and thank my executive producer, Tom Ray, my board operator, Tony Atwood, my associate producer, Jeff Firestone. As always, I appreciate all your help, guys. Always wonderful to be here. And I'm Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor reminding you the mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.